Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Stewart, and welcome to my podcast. Each week, we will talk about how to live our lives in God's fullness. My goal is to encourage, equip, and empower you. I have included show notes that highlight the points of this message. You can also find all the information on my website, cindy-stewart.com. I am so excited about sharing this journey with you. So let's begin. It is uh, such an honor to, uh, to be here and be uh, given this opportunity. Um, and just uh, really in the short time even that we've been here, uh, being able to plug in in every way possible, just the freedom, uh, the support, the love. Um, and so can we, can we thank God for our pastors, Cindy and Chuck? I mean, just for what they pour into us. Thank you. Um, so I am going to, uh, I grew up old school Pentecostal, you know, the yelling, the screaming, the running around, everything, I'm, you know, but um, <laughs> there's a little bit of that still left in me, but I, um, you know, so I, I get a little old school and excited when I'm preaching, um, but uh, so I just, I appreciate that you guys are going to preach with me. Um, I do believe that, uh, yeah, specifically what God began working uh, in my heart even. It was almost instantly when Cindy had said, you know, we'd like to know if you'd want to minister. I hadn't even given her the answer yet, and the Lord already began to tell me, this is, this is what I want you to say. So, um, so I'm going to read uh, from the book of Exodus. And it's chapter 3. And I'm going to read uh, verse 4 and verse 5. Has everybody found it on your phone or in your Bible? And it's on the screen too. All right. <clears throat> so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. The place where you're standing is holy ground. So let me just pray over us before I jump into this word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. You, we thank you, O Holy Spirit, that you are here already in our midst, that you've been working in our hearts. Even now, anoint my tongue, make it the pen of a ready writer. Anoint our ears so that we have ears to hear that which you would have us hear. Let us understand that as we stand in this place, holy ground, that the ground is shifting under our feet because you are calling us to new places. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. That is uh, what I want to talk about this morning, is when the ground is shifting. See, I had been asking the Lord, um, as soon as I, heard, I got the request, as I said, I, I asked the Lord, you know, what would you want me to speak on your behalf? And I heard him very clearly. He, he took me to this and he said, you know, I want you to talk about the ground and to let my people know that the ground that they're standing on, the holy ground that they are standing on, that that ground is shifting because everything that they've been in, it is shifting and I'm taking them to new places 
I'm calling them to new places. And that is you know, exactly you know, uh, you know, what I see him doing even in our midst. And so today, you know, I want to just speak that into you. Is, um, it may be that we have been standing in our walk. And if I could take the mic just a little bit down, it's a little bit. Uh, um, and so in our walk with God, it could be that we've been serving him for many years. And we look at the place that we're standing. And it may be a place of comfort. It may be something we're very familiar with. But there comes a point where we have an encounter with him. And that encounter is when his presence comes. And with his presence, he reveals to you that you think that you're still standing in the same place. But it's now holy because the ground has shifted. We see the story of Moses. And, you know, with Moses, um, what's, what's amazing is um, God has revealed that, you know, he can't be reasoned. He has to be revealed. And so in my life, I see that, and time again, I see that with men and women that are in the Bible, is God is not going to be reasoned by our natural mind. Just when we think that we have figured out exactly how it's going to be worked out, how it's going to happen, God will show up, even if you think of a hundred different ways, he's going to show up and bring in one more way to reveal to you the glory and majesty of his way. And so what we see with Moses is at the time when he was born, God was birthing in him a call. He was planting in him a call that was spoken so many generations ago. If you go back and read to what God spoke to Abraham, God prophesied to Abraham and said, your descendants will be many, and there'll be a day that they go into captivity, and they will be under bondage for 400 years but then I will bring them out so that they can serve me. Now, of course, that prophecy was spoken through the generations. The only way the devil knows anything is when it's spoken and he hears about it. He can't read minds and everything. And so, of course, he's counting up the years. The children of Israel are in captivity. They're in bondage, the Hebrews. And so what happens here is God reveals. He bursts a baby who he has appointed to bring his people out so that they can come out and serve him. Of course, the devil thought, I'm not going to allow that to happen. So Pharaoh said, I'm going to kill all the babies. But see, what happens is when God reveals himself, it's because he will hide you so that he can reveal you. So the devil said, kill all the babies. Pharaoh said, kill all the babies. And Moses was put out. God said, I'm going to hide him. Pharaoh said, kill all the babies. God said, I'm going to hide him under the very nose of the man who tried to kill him. That's the way God works. And so that's oftentimes what we see is even in our walk, we'll go through a season, we'll get past a struggle, he'll reveal that new revelation of who he is. And in that revelation, he will... You know, he'll show us what he's calling us to and where, where he wants us to go. And, um, and that's, uh, you know, that's really what he's done here with Moses. Is, you know, he's, he's placed him in, in the actual temple there or in the, in the house of Pharaoh. And then he becomes, he's a Hebrew, but he is raised there as an Egyptian. 
And of course, there was a point where his mother was even raising him at the beginning. And, you know, I've, I've thought many times about that because I know my own mother, the power of a praying mother. I, the Bible doesn't say that his mother prayed for him in his absence, but I've got to believe she knew where he was in the house of idols. You can't tell me that mother's heart didn't break to say, God, do not let him worship the idolatry, you know, bring him out, you know, whatever your call is. And we even know that when Stephen, in Acts, when he was preaching, and he started talking about Moses, he even said that Moses knew that there was a call in his life, and that he was going to lead the people out of bondage. And so what happens is, when Moses is 40 years old, he's out, and he sees an Egyptian, you know, harming one of his brethren, one of the Hebrews, and there's something in him that rises up. There's a conflict in him because his birthright is Hebrew, but he's been living under the house of the Egyptian. But that conflict arises, and he lashes out, and he kills a man. And then in that, he has to run to Midian. And of course, Midian, it wasn't a place where you were an Egyptian. It wasn't a place where you were a Hebrew. What it was is a place where he could be comfortable because he had reached a point of conflict back in Egypt. See, he thought that the, his brethren, the Hebrews, would know that he was risen up and in his position as an Egyptian, that he'd be able to use that power that man gave him to pull him out of that bondage. But see, that was not God's plan. So God hid him for another 40 years off in the desert. And so when he's 80 years old, 80 years old, his life is really just getting ready to get started. And so God calls him to the burning bush. And as he's standing there and approaching, he tells him, take off your shoes. Because the place that you're standing is holy ground. And the thing is, is we read many times in the Bible about the holy ground. We read about it with Joshua, with Gideon. What we realize is every time God says there's holy ground, that he's about to reveal himself in a new way to a generation, that he's going to bring them into a new place in that generation. So I'm here to speak a new word into you today. What God is birthing in you today, in this generation, this end time revival that we've already seen begun in our midst, it is quickening, it is being lit, it is awakening, and God is planting that word even today in your heart. No matter how long you have walked this walk, no matter how long you think that you've been in the way, God says, I have a walk for you. I I have an anointing for you. I have an appointed for you. I have a purpose and a plan for your life. It doesn't matter where you are because I'm here to tell you from the youngest to the oldest saint, God said there will be no unused hands in my kingdom in the last days. So why did he tell him to take his shoes off? You see, the shoes, that represented where he had been walking. Those shoes carried the dust of his past life. Those shoes carried even the mistakes and the conflict, the very blood of a man's life that had splashed onto his shoes. God said, where I'm taking you, you're not going to be able to step into this the way you step into everything else. Where I'm taking you, you're standing on holy ground. The ground has shifted. Your shoes, no more. 
sometimes that's what I have found in my life. And some of us, when we reflect on ourselves, we think, you know, we, we stand before the Lord. And we still stand there time and time again crying out to Him. The problem is oftentimes we are brought back to remembrance of a mistake of the past, things that we've done, a place of conflict, an identity crisis. And the devil will come and try to show you, well, what about this? You'll even think about it. Well, if these people knew all the things that I did and where I had gone, then, you know, and we just end up staying in the same place. But God wants us to worship him, step into his, fulfill glory, his fulfillment, into what he has called us to do. In my own life, I, um, there was a day I can remember when the ground shifted for me, when everything on that day, it was everything before and everything after. That the man you see standing here today is not the same man that most of my life, the way I was living. So just like with Moses at 80 years old, you would have thought, well, he's on his swan song. And so for me, when I was 39 years old, August the 27th, 2013, I had an encounter with God that changed me, that I could never go back. See, I grew up on church, in church and on the pews. I mean, my dad was a pastor. I could sing every song. I knew what church was about. I had a religious experience. I lacked a deep relationship with him. And so when I became a teenager, I began to pursue my desires. And I got to college, and I got too smart for God. And so literally for the next 20 years, I got so wrapped up into the world and bondage and the darkness and my identity. But God stepped in that day. It wasn't at a church. It wasn't under a pastor. It wasn't a movement. It was me alone that night in my apartment. And when he came in, I felt his presence. I hit my, because I knew the ground was sacred. I hit my knees and I began to cry out to him. And he let me know that night, I have a purpose for you. And I was like, but God, I, I've lived all these years. And he took me to that word that says, I will restore the years that the enemy has stolen from you. Those years that have been eaten up. And so I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter where you've lived. It doesn't even matter where your children are, where your grandchildren are, where your family is. God says, I will restore them to that call. You continue to confess the word, proclaim the word, pray over them. They shall return from the camp of the enemy. And so for me, it was that day. I was like, I've got to not only walk towards God, I just begin to run, run, run towards him. And I haven't looked back. I try not to focus on the story and the deeds of the past because where I'm walking now is just the better days are ahead. Today is the best day I have ever lived. Mm. Now, what's amazing is the devil, we give him a lot of credit. We think that um, he's smarter than he really is. You see, sometimes we actually think that the devil can read minds. He has all this stuff worked out. The devil thought that the cross, he thought that that was his idea. 
He, re he really did. You think about it. I mean, there was, you know, Jesus was anointed when he was baptized with the Holy Spirit, went off into the desert. That's when Satan began to tempt him because he knew this was the Son of God. And then, of course, the 12 the disciples that were closest to him, the apostles, he began to work his way in every way he possibly could. Because what does the enemy want to do if he wants to take you out, if he wants to discourage you, if he wants to get your eye off of the call that God has placed on you? He goes for someone close. And so Satan was able to take out one of them with Judas. And he's thinking, oh, I'm getting closer and closer. And then he thought that the cross was his idea. I'll give you the scripture on this. It's the, uh, the one from 1 Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6 through 8. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For if they had known, for if the devil had known that hidden in the pain, hidden in the blood, was your salvation, was your deliverance, was your healing, he wouldn't have gone through it. The scripture says, if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So I'm here to tell you that the devil didn't know until it was too late. When Jesus arose again, it was too late. Run along, devil, because now the same spirit that dwelled in him, that dwells in us, it quickens our body and everything that we read and know that he did. He says, these things you will do, but greater. Greater because he has gone to our Father. So don't give the devil too much credit. He knows your past. He knows where we have walked. He can put it up in front of us, but he does not dictate. He does not know your future. And there are times when God will, as I said, he'll hide you, and then he'll reveal you, and then he'll hide you again, over and over. And the beauty of that is, you'll think that I'm in a situation where things just don't look so good. And God has hidden you in that place only to shine his glory and reveal his perfect plan, and you step into that victory. So one of my favorite stories is in, it's in Acts 16. We read about Paul and Silas. They were in Philippi, and they had been out ministering. And then we read about a slave girl who was into you know, telling the future, divination. And she would follow around every day, you know, telling everyone, these men are servants of the Most High. You know, they give us the way to salvation. You know, and it said for many days. And if you keep hearing that over and over, at some point, those little devils are just going to get on your nerves. And Paul, in his annoyance, turned around and rebuked it. Well, of course, if you really want to get the devil coming after you, go where his heart is, which is wealth and money. Because her owners, they would make money off her telling people the future and their fortunes. And suddenly that's all gone. So, of course, they bring Paul and Silas. And they're like, you know, these men practice beliefs that we don't believe. So the authorities had them beaten and whipped because of their message. 
And they said, don't just put them in the jail, but put them in the inner sanctum and then put their, stock, their feet in stocks. So they were on the inner place where the most hardened criminals are. It was dark. It was midnight. Paul, who was Saul, had already had his encounter years ago. God revealed him for his calls to the Gentiles. And of course, that's what he was doing in Philippi. And so the devil, I mean, hell itself is trying to place a burden on that call, trying to hinder it. And of course, that night, you know, hell thought, oh, we quiet them down. We beat them down. Who are they going to speak to now? What are they going to say now? I mean, they're in this inner dark place. They're so beaten down. We won't hear from them after a while. But God will hide you so that he can reveal you. And sometimes that revelation because, comes because you allow yourself to go to a place of worship. Because in their minds, they were in the dark place. In the natural, it hurt. It didn't seem like something you'd want to be praising God about. But they could remind themselves, and that's what worship is. Worship sometimes is reminding ourselves of where God has brought us from to today. See, that one book, Philemon, the one chapter, verse 6, it says that the communication of your faith, your faith becomes effectual as you acknowledge every good gift that you have through Christ Jesus. So what they're telling us is every time we thank God for everything he's done, it's building our faith up. So Paul and Silas that night, they're in the jailhouse. And God says, I've hidden these boys. They're sitting here, but they begin to reminisce and think about what God has done. We don't look at the natural. We don't look at what's happening in the present. And it says they begin to sing songs. They begin to worship. And as they worshiped, the presence of God came and the very ground shook. There was a physical earthquake. And because of that earthquake, revival hit the jailhouse. The very jailer himself, who thought they were going to run away, he came to him and he's like, you know, what must I do to be saved? And him and his whole household were saved. And of course, we read later in the book of Philippians, the church that was there and how much they sowed into Paul over the years as he was going through his ministry. So that night they could have sit in what they thought was their demise, but they chose to say, I am going to worship my way out of this situation. I'm not going to look at what's in my bank balance. I'm not going to look at what's in the medication. I'm not going to look at what the doctor has told me, my diagnosis is. I'm not going to look where my children are living. I'm not going to look at what they're doing at midnight or 3 o'clock in the morning. I am going to worship because God is bringing me out of this. God says that where I brought you from, I am taking you even deeper. Amen. Amen. And so, the burning bush experience, anytime we want to have that, that fire, because John came to baptize with water, but Jesus came to baptize us with that fire. And after the power has come upon us, we've got that fire because he is an all-consuming fire. And so anytime we want to have that encounter, anytime we want to feel his presence, it is open and welcome to us. 
And that door is just worshiping him for everything he's done. And as we remind him of everything he's done, it's reminding us of everything he's brought us through, everything he's accomplished. And that positions our hearts to where he's taking us. You see, God, he doesn't answer people who are just sitting around, waiting on what's going to happen next. See, the word says that when you seek me, you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God is looking for people who will pursue him and seek him so that he can reveal what he planted in you so long ago. But the beauty of this is he tells us, I knew you when you were even in your mother's room before you breathed your first breath. That's when I purposed and sanctified you. That's when I called you. That's when I anointed you. And the thing is, the devil, he's not smart. What they do, hell tries to run around distracting, discouraging, disparaging. And so instead of being able to go with a laser focus a lot of times, they just throw every dart at you trying to get you discouraged because they are in search of that planted seed that God has always put in you. And that's what the devil was doing with Moses. He was so anxious because there was a promise. So the enemy just began looking everywhere to try to take out everyone that could have walked into that anointing and that purpose that God placed. And he ends up putting him right up under the devil's nose. So I'm here to tell you, The devil didn't know what he had on his hands when God brought you out. See, for some of us, that night, the overdose probably could have killed us. Should have. The night that we got behind the wheel when we'd been drinking probably should have killed us. The night that we got so in a place of darkness and so disconnected from everybody and that we even thought of our own demise taking our own life it should have taken us out but God says no I am taking something beautiful even from the most burnt out ashes of a life you look at something that looks like a pile of ashes from a campfire and God says that look at that because I can bring beauty from those ashes and that's what your life represents there are no unused hands in what God is doing and opening in our midst So yeah, the devil thought that if he could have ruined your life, he could have taken you out. That he would have distorted and stopped the call of God. But I'm here to tell you that call, that testimony, we already come because of, overcome because of the blood of the Lamb. That's been done. We walk in that, we own it. But we overcome by the word of our testimony. Some of us sometimes, and even me, I mean, I'd come back to God. I was in church, and I was an on-fire layperson because I didn't want to be a preacher because I saw my dad, and, you know, I saw being a pastor. It's hard. People aren't nice all the time. And I was like, I don't want to. I said, I could be a great worship leader from the audience. And God just began pulling me out, and he's like, you know, son, I got more for you. You know, and it's, um, you know, but with that, it's just, you know, he'll just, he'll reveal it and eventually reveal himself to you. And so, you know, for me, I just, um, you know, I'd say, I don't want to be a preacher. 
I can't sing. Maybe I'll teach. So I don't know, God, what's my calling? And some of you may ask the same question that I ask. You know, it's like, well, I don't see myself preaching. I don't want a microphone. You know, I don't want to be in leadership. We all have a call. Go forth into the world. What's my call? To set the captives free. The captives that are at work, the captives that are at Walmart, the captives that are your neighbors, to set the captives free. And so I want, I want to, um, yeah, I want us to just stand. <laughs> just, just take a few seconds here just to pray in the Spirit, minister before the Lord. I'm here to tell you this morning, you are in a holy place, a place like no other. Your story was written exactly for you. It is a story that only you can tell. But God today is letting you know, I am planting something new. I am revealing something new in you and through you that there are people who are hungry for that story, hungry for that answer, hungry for that touch. And so as I was even praying in preparation for this, I could literally see that as we go before the Lord, that the ground would shift beneath our feet and we would no longer be standing in the same place because God has called each of us to go forth from here. And so I would like to just... We're going to offer to pray for anybody that has any need whatsoever, minister to you, whatever capacity. But I do want to pray what I believe, and I'd have you repeat this after me, which is what I believe the heart of this message is. It's when you really understand that the ground has shifted, you begin to understand and cry anew. Every day, I consecrate myself to you, O oh God. So say this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, not my will, but your will. I put my hands in your life. Anoint my hands. Anoint my mouth. Anoint my feet. I will go where you have called me to go. I will do what you've called me to do. I will be who you've called me to be. My life is in your hands. Amen. Hallelujah. So let that be your prayer. Even as you leave here today, as you meditate on what God spoke today, meditate and put yourself back in the shoes of Moses, of other generations. Realize God is revealing in our midst, our gathering, in our communities, in the bay of the Holy Spirit, in our nation. He is revealing that there are embers of revival that are beginning to awaken and are beginning to fire up. And there will be no unused hands. There will be no sitters 
in the end of days, we will all be seeking after him and busy. So that is my prayer and declaration over everyone in this gathering that you be blessed. Thank you so much for listening. For more podcasts like this and to connect with me, go to my website, cindy-stewart.com. And remember, you are the best investment you can make.